Good to be together today. I'm going to try and uh, multitask. I haven't done this before, but uh, I'm going to try and multitask a PowerPoint, reading my Bible and looking at your beautiful faces all at the same time. My, uh, my wife says that I can't multitask. At least I think that's what she said. I was watching the news and sending a text message at the same time. But uh, So today, today uh, we're looking at... Oh, there we go. It's all brilliant. Uh, Ache and Breaking Heart, we are looking at Joshua chapter 7. Uh, Ache and Breaking Heart, not to be confused with the 1992 smash hit by the legendary country singer Billy Ray Cyrus. Achey Breaking Heart, anyone remember that one? Oh, what a class. Anyone want to sing it for us? Not Nettie, no. No. <laughs> Ache and Breaking Heart. It's quite a difficult chapter to digest, so if you've come in uh, today, uh, we've been looking at the, uh, Joshua, starting from chapter 1, working through it. Uh, for the last few weeks and months, and uh, great kind of inspiring things that we can learn from the life of Joshua. And here we are in uh, chapter 7, and chapter 7 deals with sin, judgment, uh, death, war. Um, Great, isn't it? Great. So thank you, Adrian, for the opportunity to speak today. You had the best weeks, didn't you? Crossing the Jordan and into the promised land. Wonderful. So we are going to read it together. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to chapter 7, obviously. I was trying to think of the best way of summarizing this or cutting to the chase, but actually I don't want to miss any of this out. It's quite a, a hefty chapter, and I don't think I'd do it justice by trying to summarize a story. So we're going to read it together. If you've not got a Bible with you, you can look up at the screen, but it's not going to be up there. So you're going to have to look over someone else's shoulder to look at their Bible or iPad, or phone to read the Bible, of course, not play Angry Birds. Brilliant. Chapter 7. Here we go. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the land of Ai, east of Bethel, near Beth-Avon. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai, since there are so few of them. Don't make all our people struggle to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating, retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay. They threw dust on their heads, and they bowed down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if we're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and wipe out, uh, out your name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? But the Lord said to Joshua, get up, get up. 
Why are you lying down on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I have commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but they have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from the enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Get up. Get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. In the morning, you must present yourselves by tribes and the Lord will point out the tribe to which the guilty man belongs. That tribe must come forward with its clans and the Lord will point out the guilty clan. The clan will then come forward and the Lord will point out the guilty family. Finally, each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one. The one who has stolen what was set apart for destruction will himself be burned with fire along with everything he has for he has broken the covenant of the Lord and has done a terrible thing in Israel. Are you still with me, church? Good. Halfway through. Early the next morning, Joshua brought the tribes of Israel before the Lord and the tribe of Judah was singled out. And then the, tri- the clans of uh, Judah came forward and the, the clan of Zerah was singled out. And then the families of Zerah came forward and the family of Zimri was singled out. Every member of Zimri's family was brought forward person by person and Achan was singled out. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. I saw 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They're hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. So Joshua sent men to make a search and they ran to the tent and found the stolen goods hidden there. Just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had. And he'd already got a lot, hadn't he? And they brought them to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble upon us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. And they piled a great heap of stones over the bodies, over Achan, which remains to this day. That is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. You see what I mean? It's a tough chapter, isn't it? Tough chapter. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word and that in every word of yours there is something of relevance and importance that can transform and speak to us. So Lord, we pray that this morning as we look at Joshua chapter 7, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us, that you would move us on in our faith, just as Israel moved on into that promised land. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a hefty reading, so I'm just going to have a little gargle. Ah, lovely. So uh, Joshua chapter 7, before that we read that there was victory and another victory and another victory and then crash, boom, wallop, there was this incredible failure. Everything seemed to be undone. They'd lost a battle. There were 36 men that lost their lives. They suffered, the Israelites suffered their first setback in this promised land. And it was all because of one man's hidden sin and how it affected the nation. 
And uh, to be honest, there was a time in life where I never really thought much about hidden sin. But there was a moment, uh, and I remember it very distinctly. It was at a teenage Bible week at a place called Caponbury Hall. I don't know if you were at this one, Ben. Um, and, uh, and I remember it, it, just, it was just a, a quite, a, we had an incredible speaker that week. And uh, in one of his messages, he said, what I want you to do is imagine that every thought Every deed, every action, everything that is hidden from everyone else. Imagine that that is going to be played out on the big screen. And in a room full of teenage lads who were hoping to get a bit of holiday romance, you could imagine everyone just shrunk down into, into their seats. A uh, hundred odd lads just shrank down six inches into their seats. And as we began to imagine our life being played out and all those secret thoughts that were being played out on the big screen. And it would have took a lot longer because they weren't uh, video players then. It was all OHP. Imagine your life being played out. <laughs> Pass me the next one quick. Um, you got that one upside down. Um, so so it, was quite, it was quite... That was the first moment I can recall in my life where I thought about the secret things in my heart and in my life and those thoughts that, you know, uh, that, that no one else knew about. And, uh, yeah, we were all pretty terrified. We, were you there, that one, Ben? Were you equally terrified? I mean, you had a lot more reason to be terrified than most people. Uh, I could see you shrinking now, but I'm not drawing attention to you at all. No. Um, everyone suddenly felt very, very exposed. Um, but there's, there's other incidents that uh, you may recall that have been highlighted in the news. Back in August 2015, there was an apparent dating uh, site called Ashley Madison, and they were hacked. Can you remember it in the news? Uh, and what happened was they were hacked and they exposed uh, lots of married cheaters right across the wo- uh, world. They exposed their name in public. And you can imagine what, what was the result of that. What was hidden Became, and what people thought was a secret sin suddenly became exposed. And as a result of that, there was destroyed relationships and marriages and families that were destroyed. And it's also been in quite an interesting month in the news, hasn't it? This past month, uh, hidden things that have come to the surface. So whether that's a, a disgraced uh, politicians or Hollywood moguls, uh, it reveals that actually secret and hidden sins are just as much an issue today as they were back in Joshua's time and his day. So I think it's quite important that we look at it today and not try and duck out of chapter 7 because it's a tough one. And as we think about that, sin isn't a very acceptable word these days, is it? It's not something you're banded about. It's not something you see on, on bush shelters and, and on TV adverts, is it? Sin is quite an ugly word unless it's a slimming world. And then I think you're allowed to have is it 5 to 15 sins a day. My wife said to me, I'm looking a bit chunky, you should maybe go to Slimming World. And I looked online, it said you lied 5 to 15 sins a day. I said, as a Christian, I don't believe that's right. So I've not, I am keeping my chunk. There we go. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, in society today, it's kind of lost the gravity and the seriousness of sin. And we've kind of put it down to a lifestyle choice or doing what we feel is okay or what we feel is good. But sin is actually, the Bible tells us, it's breaking the law of God. It's breaking the law of God. But, but more than that, I, I like the way that John Piper, John Piper's a great author and apologist and preacher, and he, he said this, if I can get my PowerPoint working, there we go. He says this, that, that, that sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God above all other things. And this morning, as I could hear this message, it, uh, this is not in any way 
about pointing any fingers. As I have said, I was one of those teenage lads that shrunk in their seats that day at that, at that Bible, uh, teenage Bible week. But neither is this going to be ear tickling. So, uh, so we can think about that. Um, but what it is, I hope that we draw and align ourselves with a God who loves us very much this morning, who wants the best for us, who wants us to live for him and for us to be open to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit today. And the Bible tells us that all have fallen short. All, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. And that's why no one could cast that, that first stone at the adulterous woman that was brought before Jesus. And they, 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 the, the religious people of the day were saying, come on, everyone should stone her to death. She's been caught up in this terrible, adulterous affair. Uh, but Jesus stopped them and said, listen, whoever, whoever is without sin, you can cast the first stone. Of course, everyone dropped the stones, walked away, because no one was without sin. None of us have been without sin. And Achan's hidden sin, really, it could have been any of our stories, um, but we can choose to not let it be. We can choose Achan's story not to be our story this morning. And when we think about what it says in Romans, Romans, my favorite book in the Bible, says in chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Jesus conquered sin. He forgives sin. He lifts us from the shame of our sin. He gives us new life. We are a new creation in him. We can stand in a position this morning, folks, of grace and mercy because of all that Jesus has done and all that he has conquered. I love that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus that we can be in a position of right standing before you this morning as we give our lives to you. Hallelujah. And whilst we think about sin not being a word much used in our culture today, actually there's uh, something else that we don't often talk about within our churches, and that is uh, the anger of God. But here we we see it. It seems to somehow go against the grain, doesn't it? We're thinking about the the anger of God. And and we sing and we talk about uh, God is certainly a good, good father. He is certainly an ever-present help. He is abounding in love. But we can't ignore those scriptures that actually reveal that the, the anger of God, just like in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, says that the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. And we can't just put it down to, well, that's great, but that was the God of the Old Testament, angry God, and the God of the New Testament is happy God. We can't. We can't segregate because we also read that, that Jesus, God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no separation there. He's the same God in the Old Testament in this story as he is in the New Testament when Jesus displayed his love for the world on the cross. It's the same God. And Jesus expresses the very character of God. And remember, can you remember that he turned the tables and the money changes tables in the temple courts? And remember that he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs and a brood of vipers. Remember that? Suddenly getting a bit uncomfortable, isn't it, all this? Remember that Ananias and Sapphira died because they lied and withheld money from the early church and they lied to the Holy Spirit? Remember? That's a New Testament. New Testament. So this morning I don't want to separate this story from who God is and how great he is, because when we think about the anger of God, it's different to ours, and this is what we need to consider this morning, that actually um, he's, he's angry when his character is violated. 
He's angry at the wicked practices uh, happening around the world. He's angry when children are abused and hurt and misled. He's angry when families are broken. And he's angry at sexual perversion. He's angry when religion keeps people in bondage. He's angry at the injustices of the world. And he's angry at sin because he knows how incredibly destructive sin can be. And I know that God is love. God is love. That's who he is. He is love. And out of that love is sometimes birthed anger because of the injustices. And, and we can be confident this morning that we have a God who is love. His character isn't angry. His character, who he is, is love. But sometimes anger is birthed out of that because, as I said, he sees how destructive things can be. It's not like our kind of anger where we're caught up in a queue and someone cuts us up and we're like, eh, 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 on the horn and someone's got in our way and we get angry behind the driver's seat. Okay, it's just me. Um, his anger is birthed out of love. It's birthed out of love for people, each one of you in this place today. It's birthed out of that love. It's birthed out of a, wanting to, a desire to restore relationship that sin destroys. That's why Jesus went to the lengths that he did to suffer on the cross so that we might know forgiveness for our sins, so that we might be restored. And just, just before we continue, I, I want to point out Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. It says, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but would rather that they turn from their ways and live. God would rather us turn from our ways than continue in sin. He would rather us turn to him this morning than feel like we're wrestling with guilt and shame this morning, that feeling that we've got something to hide. And that's because he offers us life and he offers us freedom from our sin through Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to get into this now. And there's an interesting comparison between uh, Rahab in previous chapter, in chapter 6, and uh, Achan in this chapter. Uh, you see, God wanted his people to be set apart. He wanted to establish a land that was grounded in his law and in his promises and relationship and love for him. And the Canaanites who dwelled in that land at that time, they were corrupted, evil people. And I don't say that lightly. They had, they had evil practices. They thought nothing of devoting their lives to uh, idol worship. They thought nothing of making, uh, bringing a child and killing the child as a sacrifice to their uh, false gods. They, were, they were, had so many wicked and evil practices. And God said his people, he want, didn't want his people to be a people like that. He wanted his people to be set apart people. He didn't want them to blend in or partake in their customs and practices. But what Achan did, he brought compromise to the camp. He brought compromise to that mission of bringing God's love and restoration and hope in, and promises into that land he, he, by taking what wasn't his. And it says in Joshua chapter 6, we're going to be flicking between 6 and 7. It says in chapter 6, verse 18, that he took things set apart for destruction. He took the things that were set apart for destruction so that it didn't bring a cultural compromise. And uh, whilst we consider Achan's hidden sin, there was no hiding Rahab's sin. Right from the first mention of her name in Joshua chapter 2, it says that they entered the Israelite spies. They ent- went and entered the house of a prostitute called Rahab. Right from the outset, we learn that she's a, a woman of ill repute. She, the, the, there was sexual promiscuity uh, with Rahab. But the amazing thing is that she found an incredible fresh start. 
She found a fresh start, but Achan hid his sin and he was found out. So there's this big shift because Rahab also said when she met the spies that the people's hearts, her, her people, the Je- people that lived in Jericho, her people's hearts had melted in fear at the thought of the Israelites and their God coming into the land. They had melted in fear. But then we see this big shift, actually, where uh, later in the story, we read that after Achan had done this and there was a defeat in Ai, that uh, the Israelites' hearts had melted in fear and their confidence had been crushed and their courage had gone. So this morning, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at both Rahab and Achan. Can you all see the screen up there? That uh, picture that's a bit sepia, I know, uh, is actually where the Valley of Achor is today. And I thought I'd found a really old photograph, hundreds of years old, but there was a little taxi there, so I know it's a modern one, but probably can't see it. I pointed it out now. So there's a few things, five things that I want to point out this morning. Uh, Rahab uh, helped a nation. Rahab helped a nation where Achan hindered a nation. Uh, I remember the worst detention anyone could ever have at school. Uh, anyone get a detention at school? Oh, you are so good, you lot. Uh, I, I remember my first detention. I'm glad my mum's not here today because I don't even know she knows about this one. But the worst possible detention is a class detention. Would anyone agree with me on that? A class detention. And, uh, and I remember in my class, uh, there was people, all the, all the students in our class were mucking around, messing around, chucking paper at the teacher, as you don't do, um, and uh, talking, and the teacher just found it really hard to have control of the, the lesson. So she just stopped, stop! And she shouted, right, the next noise I hear, the whole class is going to be in detention. And you could hear a pin drop. And then in that moment of absolute silence and respect for the teacher, I got a nervous laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I, I, and forgive me, sometimes I laugh in totally the wrong places because it's a nervous laugh. Whole class got a detention because of me. I got the whole class a detention. So you can imagine the rest of that term, I was just everyone's enemy. They hated me. They hated me. Um, whole class detention. One person's actions can affect an entire group, as I found, found out. Many, and there's many cases reported today of how uh, an individual's habits can affect more than that individual. So we think about in recent years, um, there's been, uh, they looked at passive smoking and the laws have changed in this land. Uh, there's been the impact of drug and drink and the, and ha- the impact on the um, NHS, NHS. So it's not just an individual habit, it affects more than the individual. We think about pornography and we're often told how pornography, it can be such a, a, a secret hidden sin that you think there's doing no, no one any harm. But actually there's so much se- sexual uh, and human trafficking involved in pornography, that it's not just you. It's affecting. And we think about how gossip can have a ripple effect of bringing others down or producing fake news. We've seen that again more recently in our news. Individual habits can affect more than the individual. And there was a reporter called uh, Sebastian Jungen who discovered this for his own life. He, he uh, made a decision to do a report on a particular platoon and he followed this platoon around. And he watched one day as he was following this platoon, a soldier accost another soldier whose bootlaces were undone. He gave him an absolute pasting because his shoelaces were undone. Now, I, I do tell my kids to tie up the laces because they'll end up tripping up. But, but this, was a, this was a lot more severe. And Sebastian Jungen, this reporter, was just like, what on earth is going off? 
And then he discovered something, that this soldier wasn't accosting the other soldier because of it being a, a, a thing about fashion or anything like that. He was accosting him because he knew, uh, and he confronted him because he knew that loose laces could be dangerous to the rest of the platoon. In that, they could be somewhere on their mission, and uh, that person could trip and fall at a crucial moment that put the rest of, rest of their platoon at risk. One person's laces could affect the whole of that platoon. That's what Junga realized that day, that what happens to one happens to everyone. And not all of Israel's laces were undone, only Achan's, but because of the actions that he took, everyone was affected. God was dishonored. The nation was hindered uh, on their mission. 36 men died. It was a, a, an easy battle was actually lost, and uh, they retreated from the enemy. Private sins will inevitably have a public effect. Private sins will inevitably have a public effect. That's what we're seeing in the news today, and that's what actually is in God's word for us to consider as well. And Rahab, on the other hand, she was an outsider from the Israelites, but we read that she hid the spies, that she helped them. She helped the nation by helping the spies get to a safe passage. She saw an opportunity, and she helped the nation by helping those spies. And life will present situations to us. It will present temptations to us which could be our loose lace that trips us up and affects other people and hinder other people's walks. But also we'll have those opportunities in life to tie our laces, yes, but to get alongside others and help them to tie their laces so they don't trip up too. I'll never forget the story of a a pastor a while ago who tried to befriend someone and took them for uh, a drink uh, to a pub and bought him a, bought him a drink. And little did he know that that guy was actually a recovering alcoholic and put him on another path of destruction when he was cleaned up. And that pastor wasn't aware of that, so I'm not pointing any fingers. But what I am saying is there are moments where we've got opportunities to help other people tie up their laces and get back on track or have moments of destruction. And it's something worth considering. Because as followers of Christ, we we belong to one another. If you're part of our church family, we love you very much, and we care for one another. And uh, there's not always the opportunity to say that to each other, but we belong to one another. We're, We're a body of Christ. And we've got that opportunity to help one another and to make a positive difference on our community and to our nation and so excited, I have to say this, uh, w- each of the life groups uh, towards Christmas are doing missions which have a broader impact on our community. Re- really exciting that actually what we've done in previously years now is happening tenfold because ten, is it ten life groups are all active in reaching out in the community. There was a life group yesterday and I want to commend them because they've worked so hard that, uh, in a sale that they had in a coffee house. They raised uh, over £200 and they're not done yet. And so their hard work is actually helping people in our community, struggling families who can't afford a Christmas meal and things. So they're going to be, the money's going to be going to a great cause. This is what I mean. This is helping one another tie their shoelaces and impacting the community around us. So Rahab helped a nation, Achan hindered a nation. We also read that Rahab was an example of faith 
And uh, Achan was an example of faithlessness. Now, there was two monuments in the land. The first monument was erected after the, uh, the Israelites had crossed the Jordan River and made it onto safe, dry ground. And uh, they took some of the stones from the Jordan River. You remember this? And they set them up as a monument in the land so that in future generations, when people said, what are them stones all about? They could say, our God saved us. Our God rescued us. Our God brought us into a place of promise. But there was a second monument, a second monument in the land. So the first monument was about what God did and the salvation they they received. The second monument in the land was to what man did to his sin. We read in verse 26 of chapter 7, they piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. They were set up as, as an example of faithlessness of what this man did for generations to come. But we see with Rahab that it was because of her faith that she hid the spies. We, we read that in Hebrews chapter 11, in this great chapter of uh, men and women of faith. She's in that chapter. It says that it was by faith that Rahab was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She was an example of faith. For all generations, every reader of Hebrews chapter 11 will read that this woman, who was once a woman of ill repute, is now a woman of great faith. Wow. Wow. I am so pleased and blessed that we're in a church where our people that have come and gone and here, sat here today that are examples of faith. Examples of faith. So today I want to challenge each of us to be that example of faith. We also read that Rahab, uh, in chapter 6, verse 25, let's read it. It says this, Rahab uh, lived among the Israelites to this day. I don't suppose to this day, but to that day it was being written. She lived among the Israelites. She lived among. Uh, She was the outsider, but her choice led her to being accepted into the Israelite family. She, she was welcomed. She became one of them. She uh, embraced their culture, their love for God, their way of life. She turned her back on her old life and her old customs and the things that her people were involved in. She turned her back on them and embraced uh, living among the Israelites. And she, as I say, she was recognized as a woman of great faith. What an incredible transformation. And her... Story really just foreshadows ours that as Christians we've been accepted into God's family. There's new life for us. There's hope for the future. Whilst Achan, uh, while Rahab found a new life, Achan on the other hand died at a place called Achor. Achor. Achor means trouble. He died at a place of trouble. He caused trouble. He was buried at trouble. Now, I remember as a kid, my dad always used to say this to me every time I'd leave the house. Uh, Andrew, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. (laughs) Just remember. I I thought it was some parental tactic to keep me out of trouble, uh, but I've since realized it's actually a Bible verse. But mostly it did keep me out of trouble, uh, and it's a parental tactic I now uh, use for my children. Uh, (laughs) Andrew, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Listen, it's, it's better to be among God's people where we know support and encouragement and care and love and opportunity to pray for one another. It's better to be among God's people than it is in a place called Achor or Trouble. Rahab and Achan made their choices. So, also we see that Rahab recognized God. 
She recognized God, but not only that, she, in recognizing God, she surrendered and submitted herself to God. And Achan refused to acknowledge God. There was no sense of surrender. There was no kind of submission with him. And it could have been a different story, to be perfectly honest, for Achan. But his sin and his reluctance in coming forward were direct disobedience to what uh, God had commanded in chapter 6 about not taking those things. Achan made a, a confession. Yes, he made a confession, but he made a confession because he was cornered. He was cornered. At any given time, he could have stepped forward and say, hands up, I've done this. And there was a reluctance in him coming forward uh, to, to admit what he'd done. He could have come forward the day before when God had spoken to, to Joshua about it. He could have come then. He could have come at the stage where the, the tribes were separated and then when it was uh, whittled down into uh, clans or whittled down into families. He had so many opportunities to... Um, to kind of step forward and say, Joshua can have a little quiet word. Um, uh, appreciate what's going off here, but um, to be honest, it was me. Now I'm responsible for all what's happened. And, but he didn't. And maybe he thought that he'd got this covered, if you excuse the pun, as he hid, hid these things in his tent. Um, maybe he thought that he'd got away with it, right until that last minute where there was no escape because he was totally singled out. Maybe he thought he could get away with it. Maybe he, he treasured his treasure more than the land that he was entering into that was a rich inheritance from God. We read that he had so much other stuff as well. There's so much in his life already that there's something of greed and lust and coveting, something that he, he embraced. Moreover, he, he treasured those things rather than God's presence and promises. I, uh, I made a discovery this week. I'm going to tell you about it shortly. <laughs> oh, you won't believe this. But... Uh, Rahab uh, recognized who God was, and uh, in recognizing God, in Joshua chapter 1, she says this, For the Lord your God is the supreme, is the supreme God of all heavens above and all the earth below. That is an amazing statement when you consider that the, the, the false gods that the, the Canaanites worshipped were gods of earth and, earth and sky. She was making an incredible statement of faith by saying, Your God is the supreme God above all the earth, above all the heavens. Your God is the incredible statement of faith. She recognized who God is. So I want to ask us, will we recognize God and surrender our lives to him today and put him first and put his kingdom first? Then finally, um, we see this. Do we see this? Yes, we see this. That Rahab took others with her. She made a selfless risk, a selfless risk. She was prepared to die herself to save the spies to help them on their mission. Whereas Achan took for himself, we read that he took sin. Sin, sin is always selfish. Sin is always selfish. So this is this incredible discovery I made this week. Um, and again, I'm glad that my mum isn't here to bring this up again. It was a family matter at the time. But I, I found this week in an old box of all my kids' stuff. Uh, I, some of you fellas will really appreciate this. I found my talking commander, action man. Who had an action man? I figured out I must have been about seven when I got this. Uh, it's been kept in a box with uh, my Mr. T. Remember Mr. T? Uh, no one accepts responsibility for this, but this is how I found him. <laughs> it could have just got into a brutal uh, fight with Mr. T in the old box, but that's how... Don't worry, it can... It can oh, sorry. Uh, it, still, it can still talk. Yeah, yeah. Anyone remember that? Yeah. There we go. And he's still got his eagle eyes, look, still. 
this trendy little crew cut. I made my mum get me a crew cut, just like my action man. And they're rubber grip hands that could grip onto anything. <laughs> Wonderful. So, but the story is with, with this action man, uh, who, was, who had a head at the time, um, he, uh, he took something that wasn't his. Um, so the story goes that my brother, uh, who is five years older than me, um, great to have a big brother until you get the hand-me-down clothes, Five years later, not in fashion, just, just saying that. If any of your parents think you're going to hand down your clothes to a child who's in another fashion era. Um, but uh, my brother inherited this gold toothpick, um, solid gold, that was encrusted with uh, jewels and precious stones, and he kept it in a very nice box on his shelf. Um, but, but, but one day when my brother was out and I was home... Um, my, my action man made a decision that he would like some um, treasure because I drew a map for him. And my action man discovered the treasure because he followed the, the map and uh, said, said toothpick, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, he broke up into little pieces with his grippy hands, uh, pulled, extracted the little precious stones and jewels and uh, put them in his commando uh, briefcase. Um, so the story goes. Um, so naughty action man. Uh, what, you see, what, what happened? I, I, I took the opportunity to take something that wasn't mine, and, uh, and no one was impressed. In fact, for about a fortnight, I was in the Valley of Acor. Uh, I was in that place called Trouble. Uh, I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with my action man, actually. I probably put him in a box away for a reason. But... Um, the thing was, I, I, I took, I, I, I knew it wasn't mine, I, t- I took it, I saw it, I saw the box on this shelf, I thought, I can get up there, climb a bunk bed, I can lean over and get that, on behalf of me, action man, because um, it was on the map, uh, I, I could get that, so I, I, so I saw it, and then I, then I, then I opened it up, and I saw, and I saw this inherited gold toothpick, which was, it was worth a lot of money, was, um, I took it, I, I saw it, I wanted it, and I made it mine, or my action man's. Um, so, but is, isn't that the pattern of sin? Because that's, that's exactly what we see with Achan, and it, it, he says, he says in verse 21, I, I saw it, I saw, I saw this gold, I saw this silver, I saw this fantastic, you can imagine him really like relishing it, I saw this fantastic robe that come all the way from Babylon, I saw those things. And then he says, and I, and I wanted those things. I wanted those things. And I took those things. Isn't that always the pattern with sin and temptation that we, we see, we want, we take? And maybe with, with, it is with our hidden sin. And there's an element of, of shame and guilt when we do take it. But, and whilst Achan hid his sin and consequently he and his family were put to death, Rahab, on the other hand, took others with her. She, she hid the spies and consequently her family were saved and brought to a place of safety. So I want to ask this this morning. Does, does, our, does our witness and does our courage and our faith and love for others lead them to a safe place that points to the mercy and grace of, of God as it did for Rahab's family? Because there's an incredible challenge with that when we leave this place this morning. Where does our faith and courage and love for others take us? And uh, Achan's sin wasn't just a matter of his treasure, though. I think it was more to it than this, because it was also a matter of his heart. Oh, it was also a matter of his heart. 
So the question is this morning, what, what, what is in our hearts? What is in our hearts? Rahab's response to the spies and to their God was also a matter of her heart. Her heart and Achan's heart, you can see, are in different places. Second, second part to that John Piper quote that I, I shared earlier is this. That at the, bottom, and the bottom of sin, the root of all sinning is such a heart. A heart that prefers anything above God. A heart that does not treasure God above all other person and all other things. It is a, it's in the heart. It's in the heart. And as I was preparing t- uh, today, for today, I made an incredible discovery that I want to share with you. Is that all right? Uh, no? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, th- and you may, you may well know this, but the, the um, Hebrew word for heart is made up of two letters, and one of them is Bayet, and the other is Lamed, Lamed. And when we think about Lamed, it actually depicts something like a shepherd's staff, and it represents authority, as a shepherd has authority over his flock. It's quite interesting, isn't it, this? But this is the second part, that Bayet, Bayet is a picture of a floor plan of a nomadic tent, and it represents the idea of being inside as a, a family resides and lives and dwells within a tent. And when, they combine, when those two letters combine, they mean the authority within. See, we sometimes get a bit gushy about hearts, but the Hebrew, uh, Hebrews had a very different thinking about hearts rather than cupids and fluffy things. Um, <laughs> heart, bayad, lamed, the authority within, the authority within. And it's quite interesting that really thinking of this, Bayat being the inside of a tent, the dwelling place of a family, that that is the place where Achan chose to hide his booty. It wasn't even his booty. The booty, the gold, the silver, the Babylonian robe. He chose to hide it within his Bayat, within his family home, within his tent, his nomadic tent, but also within his heart. It was within his heart that he had done this. It was within his heart that he disobeyed God. It was in his heart that he kept on hiding it. It was within his bayet. And Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart, the treasure within your bayet, within your heart, the bayet lamed, the authority within. So I want to, I want us to consider today, how, how's your heart doing? Because this is what it was all about. How is your heart doing? Is there anything hidden from God? Have you felt a little bit of a stirring as we've shared this morning? Have you, have you, have you winced and shrunk in your seat a bit as we brought that story about uh, teenage Bible weeks where I, I, with many others, shrunk in the seat at the thought of uh, every thought and action being, being exposed? How is your heart? Is there anything that we not need to not take as ours anymore in our life? Is there any undone laces that we need to tie up so that we don't trip? And, and today, I want to encourage you to, to give your whole heart to God. That's what God is interested in this morning. Your whole heart. Your whole heart. Every little bit of your life and heart. To, to give him the, uh, the authority within your heart to, to, so that you can live for him. And this morning we can take a leaf out of Rahab's, Rahab's book. We can take a leaf out of her book rather than Achan's. Uh, and we can accept the glorious gift that God offers, which is the road to promise. 
and to eternal hope and to, to life and hope with him rather than that destructive path of hidden sin and shame. I love, um, I love what the, how the message puts it in Romans chapter 3, and I'm going to invite the musicians to come back up. That says this, we, since we've compiled this long and sorry record of, as sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. He did it for us out of sheer generosity. He put us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. God has given a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. You see, through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ today, we can be in right standing with God and restored as a people of God by accepting his gift of grace. Wow. So before you all go home over your roast dinners and say, oh, that was terrible. Death, war, judgment, lost battles. Consider this. There's more to this story that is for us today. How's your heart? How's your heart? Our past sins shouldn't be a snare when you've been set free by our Savior. So this morning might be a point of letting go, of confessing to God. Listen, God, I've done this. This is between you and him, your relationship with him. And listen, this morning, if you've not got a relationship with Jesus Christ, consider all that we've talked about, what he's done for you. So that his, his, his righteous anger be lifted and his love be deposited in your hearts and lives to give you hope and a future. This morning could be a morning where you accept everything that Jesus has done on the cross for you by embracing him who did it for you. I want to encourage us Christians to, to guard our hearts. Paul wrote about it so much. Guard your hearts. He knew the reality of living in a, in a fallen world. And he encouraged the Christian church, the early church, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Sebastian Junger would have put put it differently make sure your shoelaces are tied up this is this is great Ephesians chapter 3 says this then then God will make his home in your hearts that's why he wants our hearts pure and clean and open to him because he wants to make a home in our hearts as you trust in him you your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong that's when temptation comes it's his love it's his love that will keep us strong and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ that is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Jesus overcame and we are called a people that can overcome. Wow. Wow. Hallelujah. Church, can we stand together in our closing moments? And thank, thank you for listening so well. And I hope my naughty action man wasn't a distraction to you. To you. And please don't bring that up to my mum again. Else uh, I could be in the Valley of Acor again. But this, this morning, hand on heart between you and God, how is your heart? Is there anything hidden? Because actually, Hebrews tells us that nothing is hidden from God. It says that his word is like a, sharp, a sharp-edged sword. It cuts right through bone and marrow. It talks about in, in the Hebrews that actually nothing is hidden before God. We're as though we were naked and exposed before him. He knows everything. It, it, it talks in the 1 Samuel, it talks about how he, he looks to the heart. We can just see what's on the outside. But God looks into our hearts this morning. And he longs for us to come to him, to know restoration and the power of his love and breakthrough. To not let sin bind us and keep us down. To, 
to dig up that treasure, as it were, the things that we've treasured before God and say, help me in this. Help me in this. So Father, in these closing moments today, I just pray that you would help us as a people of God who love you and know your love for us. I thank you. What an absolute privilege it is that you choose to make your home in our hearts. So Father, I just pray that we'd be open-hearted to you that nothing would be hidden, that if we need to confess to you, that you would restore and take us further on into those promises and hope that you've got. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who aren't judgmental of others, but actually we help tie up one another's shoelaces in love and truth. Lord, for those who don't know you in this place this morning, I pray that they would take very seriously the things that we have shared that you are the lifter of shame and guilt we can know your forgiveness and hope through a relationship with you I pray that this day would be a day where those that don't know you get to know you in Jesus mighty name Amen Thank, thank you church for listening so well and um, just be open to God and open to him making his home in your hearts and lives today Let's sing and worship together, shall we?